Like, like let's let's be real. All these Disney live action whatevers, it's, it's got to stop. I know it won't until literally the last movie they have left to do is Song of the South. But I <laughs> um, think we'll get an Atlantis. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if they're, they're like, well, that's what we got. You know, it's either that or uh, uh, or Brother Bear. Let's we're doing this now. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Back on the show again, Keith Foster from San Diego, California. That's right. I'm back, baby. And with me is Cassidy Robinson from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, and we got a show. We got a show for you because you just came back from uh, the San Diego Comic-Con, which you've attended every year uh for the last what six years i guess you could say i came back it's like you know it's walking distance from my house so it's not like i came back from anywhere (laughs) i didn't really go anywhere right 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 but yes uh yeah i've been going to comic cons uh every year since 2012 yeah i mean that's a lot uh, we're also going to be talking about Lion King, which was released last weekend, the Lion King um, quote-unquote live-action remake, and we're uh, also going quote to unquote, be... photo real. Right. Is that what they're calling it? Okay. Um, yeah. And at the end of the program, we're going to be talking about Night Moves from the uh, our Netflix selection. We did have to change it because every once in a while, you know, we'll assign a movie and then Netflix says, no, you don't, and they and remove Netflix it because... to fuck you in the ass! Uh, among other things, yes. But before we get into all that, we have to get a little sad. Because <laughs> uh, today we just found yeah. out that uh, Rudger Howard died. The famous character actor. Mm-hmm. You might not know him by name, but you certainly have seen something with him in it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And he I mean, was probably a villain. Most likely a villain, yeah. Or some sort of shady individual. Um, uh, very prominent in in a lot of like kind of fan favorite uh, type stuff in the eighties and nineties, and I just wanted to kind of give us the floor to explore what our favorite Rudger Hauer performances are. So, what about you? Oh, I mean, right out of the gate, the obvious one, uh, Blade Runner. I mean, sure, I've been seeing in my feed all day. Uh, you know co-star blade runner uh dies like it's just he he helped uh he helped make that movie what it was um Mm -hmm. uh to me that's that's the most rudger hauer rudger hauer gets um but he was in a lot of other great stuff shout out uh what's the one i'm thinking of oh uh he was in sin city Mm -hmm. uh he was smaller part, the, but a very memorable one. Yeah, the corrupt priest. Um, he was uh, the corrupt head of Wayne Enterprises in Batman Begins. Yes, yes, he was. Another smaller one. Uh, he was the hobo with a shotgun himself. Mm-hmm. The titular hobo. I and he was I'm one of those guys it. who, like, he could be in prestige projects, he could be in B-movies, because he was a character actor, he didn't really, you know, he just kind of went where the work was for the yeah. majority of his career. And he was, uh, didn't, you know, despite the fact that he was a very good actor and very capable on screen and always brought a lot of gravitas to what he did, um, he seemed to like being in genre movies because they, you know, largely built his career. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I would have to say yes, obviously, his performance in Blade Runner is batty, as, um, um, you know, very iconic, and uh, a lot of people know that he um, improvised 
a lot of what his character is in that movie. Um, it was Spe- I, uh, specifically the the last monologue, right? Didn't yeah, the last monologue it? he improvised that, or I'm sure he wrote it and brought it on on set, but. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a ton of character choice stuff, like him howling and things like that. I doubt that was in the screenplay. I'm also going to say, kind of around the same time, um, The Hitcher is a really iconic performance from him. Oh, yeah. Super yeah. creepy, um, very unsettling, and, uh, you know, he gets to really chew it up for a long periods, long sections of the movie. Um, and maybe not a movie he was the most proud of, but one, maybe one of the first I ever saw, and that always uh, comes to mind, is the head vampire in Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, And he was also in Ladyhawk. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he, like, the main, he was, like, the main guy in Ladyhawk, right? He was the one that turned into a wolf or whatever? (laughs) That's a fucking weird movie. It is. That's a Richard Donner movie, I think. Um, I haven't seen that movie since I was a little kid, and I remember I really liked it. Yeah, it was like one of those like adult fantasies at the time. Yeah. Um, they don't really make those anymore. Well, I guess there's Game of Thrones. It's like an entire television based on it's that genre. Di- but It's a little different. Yeah. People aren't transforming into animals. Uh, um, well, that's actually not accurate at all, but whatever. <laughs> I've only watched half the first season. Um, yeah, clearly. Clearly you didn't get to the warging, you fuck. <laughs> you didn't get to have your heart broken like the rest of us over this last season. <laughs> but yes, R.I.P. Rudger Hauer. Um, and if you haven't gone and watched some of these, you know, some of the movies that we brought up in this segment, uh, go ahead and go back and, you know, look at what he's doing, even when he's in five or six minutes of a movie, like what he does for that scene. Yeah, for sure. One of the greats. Mm -hmm. He was one of the best at like staring off, not in eye, like not at all in the eyeline of the actor or the camera Uh, and delivering like, you know, just sort of mumbling some nonsense that <laughs> sounds really poetic and talking about darkness or some such fanciful poetic language that eats might be a little inside. too soon for <laughs> for this for this uh, impression you're going for <laughs> Uh, let's go ahead and, and I'll, I'm going to give you the floor. This is a sort of like the overarching consumo bay because that's all conventions are for. I didn't go, but you did. Uh, what did you get to see while you were at, uh, Comic-Con this year? So I, um, actually not as much as I normally get to see. Uh, so normally I'll camp out for Hall H for the big Marvel panel, um, but that day's programming was pretty thin other than Marvel. And so I was like, do I really want to give up a whole day of Comic-Con just for one panel at the end of the day? And I decided no. Oh. Um, so I, I heard a lot of the news the same as everybody else later on. Um, spent a lot more time walking the floor this year. Uh, they did. Uh, there is a Comic-Con museum that's being built at uh, Balboa Park here in San Diego. And they yeah. did a really cool installation for Batman. Um, so they had all the Batman movie suits from every Batman movie. They had bat cars, they had bat props, and they had a VR uh, bat experience called mm-hmm. the Bat Dive. And so they, and not a lot of people got to do this because it took a while to like set up and stuff. So you had to be in line pretty early. Uh, and they took you into a wind tunnel. So, you know, those, those tunnels that like simulate skydiving. Yeah. Where it, you're, you're like suspended in air. Yeah. Yeah. So they brought you into one of those and they strapped a VR goggle set to your face and the VR goggle set was like you diving through Gotham to get scarecrow but there's like 
fear gas. So it's like trippy and buildings are falling and stuff. And that was a really cool. Did you that do was it? was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like something you would be nervous or scared of doing. Um, I mean, I so I'm not uh, like a fan of heights, but right. I've always been curious about a wind tunnel because it simulates skydiving, but you're not actually high. Right. You're, you are above a giant fan, and that made me a little nervous because like <laughs> if the gate broke or whatever, you'd just be chopped into bits. Right. Um, but so the first they did a test run with you where you're just in the wind tunnel. Uh, so you can kind of get used to it. And I mean, there's people like helping to direct your body and stuff. So you, so it wasn't like you were just flying on your own. Right. Um, and then they added the VR to it. And honestly, I think I almost enjoyed just the wind tunnel aspect of it more than the VR. The VR was really cool, too. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very cool experience. I will definitely do that again. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh but yeah, so the <laughs> oh, excuse me, I oh, con cold. Uh, yeah, I got the con crud um, <laughs> a little bit, so I'm still recovering from that. Uh, so that was one of the cooler things I got to do was experience this this Batman experience, and they built like a replica of the Bat Cave, mm-hmm. um, and they had like some of the props that batman would have so they had like a giant joker card and they had like a bat computer uh they had a punching bag that had like a different villain's face on it and you punch it and it was all 60s and campy and the uh, big old pow thing would be projected on the wall behind you sure um, i i post a lot of this stuff on my instagram so you can check that out at keith foster kid um yeah, so that was the bat experience was like the best offsite thing this year, I think. Um, other than that, I got to see. Oh, I did get to see one one movie business. I got to see was Scare Diego, where so that was the panel for it, Chapter Two. Oh, okay. Uh, and they showed a whole bunch of clips from it, Chapter Two, and I is excited. Sure. Uh, I I think it's going to be just as good as the first one, if not better. Uh, I, yeah, the clips they showed were funny and scary and mm-hmm. like all of the things that that you would want from a follow up to uh, the first it movie. I, I'm the hype train is very real for that for me. Sure. Um, were there any scenes of the uh, adult cast? Um, riding around on a bike with uh, with like cheery music in the background. No. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, of the clips I got to see, they, they did show the reunion of the Losers Club as adults, um, and they all have great chemistry. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I they all are. But like James McAvoy their- and Bill Hader and and Jessica Chastain, yeah. none of them were there. No, they were there. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, they were they were there. They did like interviews and stuff. Um uh yeah, they showed some scary footage, they showed some some funny footage. I very excited. Uh I I think that's going to be I I think it's going to overtake the first one as far as as movie gross goes. Uh however Probably. much that matters anymore. Yeah. Um yeah, and then uh, another cool thing I got to do, uh, I got to, um, so you know the movie, What We Do in the Shadows? Yes, I know they're making a show. Yeah, so they they the first season's out, uh, I won an exclusive signing for, their, for the cast of the show, um, so I, right before con, hurried and watched most of it, um, uh, Taika directed a couple of the episodes um and jermaine wrote a couple of the episodes so it's it's a pretty good spiritual successor to the movie um i still prefer the movie but the show is a lot of fun you know just think the office but with vampires right Um, i mean that was that's kind of the vibe and i i have enjoyed the first season quite a lot um is that a hulu show who shows that uh fx fx FX. okay yeah um yeah, so I 
try to catch up. Uh, I, I think it kind of has, you know, a similar trajectory as like the office or parks and rec where like the first season, they're still kind of figuring some stuff out. They're still figuring out some of like the character connections and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it shows a lot of potential. Uh, there's some really great moments in the show. Uh, so I think a, a second season is just going to be even better. Cool. Um, but yeah, so I got to meet the the cast of that. Um, uh, Matt Barry is, uh, I think, one of the funniest TV actors right now. Um, he's a British character actor. Uh, he was in the IT crowd, A Toast right. of London. Um, a few things like that. Uh, yeah, and so I got to meet him. That was really exciting. And I got a hat from the fx like freebie giveaway uh thing and so i'm going down the line for the signing and they just like give you a poster and you're just supposed to get the poster signed and one of the cast guys uh he plays guillermo he was like oh uh because he saw i was wearing a hat and he was like oh you should be having everybody sign your hat and i was like yeah they told us you're really only supposed to sign the poster and i didn't want to like get in trouble and he was like, oh, well, fuck it. I'll sign your hat. So he took my hat and signed it for me as well. So that was really cool. And uh, they had the whole cast there. Plus, Jermaine Clement was there. So I got to meet Jermaine. That's cool. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, he, they were all very nice. Uh, yeah, so I got to see that. Uh, and, oh, I also got to meet Joe Hill. That was really fun. Uh, Son Stephen of Stephen Kingston. King. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, was he there just, for uh, the Lock and Key television series, or was he there for comic stuff? Uh, I think he was there for he was there for Lock and Key, the comic, and I think he was also there for uh, Creep Show. I think he's helping out with the relaunch of Creep Show. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but yeah, I just ran into him at a Starbucks, and I had just <laughs> finished his book Nosferatu. Um, which I got to preview the first episode at WonderCon. And so right. uh, I and I just had a lovely little conversation with him for for a little bit. like About Nosferatu? Yeah, just about whatever. Like, um, just, you know, Comic-Con, uh, Nosferatu. Um, he, he really liked my Jaws shirt. Like, we, j- <laughs> we just chat for a little bit. It was it was really nice. Um, Friend of the show, yeah. Joe Hill. Yeah, very, very fun. Um, very nice. All, all the people I met at Comic-Con were very nice. So that was sort of my individual experience with Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to talk about some of the big movie news now that came out? Of, yeah, so uh, you didn't Marvel. go to the Marvel, Marvel panel, but they, they did reveal a lot. All of this is Marvel news, so Marvel fans, yeah. get ready. Um, first, I want to just read what their uh, their next big push is going to be. Like, they've announced a lot of films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, this is a Marvel's uh, official Twitter that they, they posted this. Marvel Phase 4, uh, Black Widow 2020, Eternal uh-huh. 2020, Shang-Chi. Oh, it just says Eternal on the, on the tweet. Um mm-hmm. Shang-Chi 2021, Doctor Strange 2, and I believe there's a long subtitle on that. Um, uh, oh, uh, Doctor Strange 2 and the Madness of the Multi- or and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a Harry Potter movie. Uh, 2021, <laughs> and uh, Thor 4, which they also have an official title for as well. Uh, Love and Thunder! Love and Thunder, that's right. And, uh, did they not mention the one? Because there's already news for it. I guess it's technically not phase four. I don't, I don't think they have a set date for it, but they also announced that they are rebooting Blade. Yes. Star Masahala Ali as the titular Blade. Which makes sense. Um, uh, he would definitely fit the bill. He is kind of... Um, uh, yeah. I think he's perfect. Yeah, he has he has a similar Wesley Snipes energy. I, I I'm a little concerned about Marvel Cinematic Universe Blade versus early two thousands Cyber Rave Blade, <laughs> um, because 
are they going to be able to be R-rated? You know, I don't I don't know, and I've I've been thinking about this a lot. Um Yeah. I don't know that it matters, honestly. I mean, yeah, Blade makes sense as an R-rated property. I don't think it needs to be R-rated as long as they have the horror aspect. Um, right. But, you know, we got that interpretation of Blade. We got two and a half decent movies <laughs> of that interpretation of Blade. Right. Um, I am afraid that tonally it will be closer to Blade Trinity, which was not good. Um, right. But, yeah, I... I I have enough faith in Marvel at this point that I don't think they're going to just totally shit the bed just because Blade can't say, fuck you, you fucking vampire fuckers. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, I'm not too concerned about that. I think I think they picked a fucking fantastic guy for their blade. Right. Um, and I, I think... I think they can pull it off. So I'm I'm not worried about the fact that it can't be rated R. I, I am actually sort of excited to see because rumor has it that Doctor Strange 2 will delve more into sort of the horror aspect as well. So I'm excited sure to hope see so. if we can get maybe a darker edge to the MCU. Um, I would like to see that. Well, for specific characters, not every character, but I think there are some characters that call for, you know, you can go into more kind of horror territory. And that's what I was hoping from the first Doctor Strange. We didn't really get that. Um, but hopefully yeah. this and uh, the, you know, the, the Blade reboot and this uh, new Doctor Strange can kind of veer in a different direction. Not everything has to, you know, end in a giant fight on a helicarrier. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, and and I think if anything it shows they're willing to to still take some risks. I mean they they did it with Guardians of the Galaxy and it paid off huge. Um you know, nobody was expecting them to sort of go this cosmic direction. Um so I'm excited to see them take on some you know, like relatively unknown characters like Shang-Chi. I don't know dick about Shang-Chi. I know uh, even but, less than that. Yeah, but I I think that he is sort of going to fill the MCU's void for like a Kung Fu Iron Fist type character. Okay. Um, because as far as I know about Shang-Chi, I just know he's, from what I know, he's just kind of a comic book version of Bruce Lee. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with a character that they have more of a clean slate with. Mm -hmm. Um I think that it could be really cool. And Thor 4 is the first number four of the MCU. Oh, that's kind of surprising. But I guess not really. And the big news coming out of that, of course, is that Natty Poe, Natalie Portman, uh -huh. is going to return as Dr. Jane Foster, a.k.a. the new Thor. She's going the to be... The mighty Thor, yeah. She's, she's going to be donning the, uh, the hammer... Uh, Mjolnir, and she is going to become Lady Thor, which I know they introduced in the comics a few years back. And and I want my only concern is that I think that's kind of a spoiler. Like the female Thor's identity was sort of a secret for like a year or something. Um, so I guess they're not going to play up the mystery aspect of who is the new mighty Thor, um, right? But yeah, yeah, so it comes from a storyline where Thor suddenly finds himself unworthy to re to wield Mjolnir, and all of a sudden this woman comes out of nowhere wielding Mjolnir with all the powers that go with it, mm -hmm. um, and they sort of have two separate adventures, him trying to find his way back to worthiness, and her sort of filling his place in the, the universe, so I, I think this is very exciting. Um, I thought the, the, the Jane Foster Thor comics were really cool. So, uh, I think, yeah. And speaking of Taika Waititi is back to direct. So yes, we, we covered that on the last episode. Um, and there's, there's a few other, uh, 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 mentions here. They didn't put any specific dates to it. Kind of like the blade thing. Um, but it says here in the same tweet, 
that mentioned, but with no dates, Fantastic Four. Richard has very specific opinions about that. Um, uh, so, uh, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, uh, they they did not talk about Fantastic Four, like, at all. It, it was just sort of like a name drop at the end. Uh, Kevin Feige just said something along the lines of, and I don't even have time to talk about our plans for the Fantastic Four. So and then everyone burst into applause. Yes. Yeah, all um, I know is they're coming to the MCU officially. Yeah. Uh, everybody knew it was coming, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel uh-huh. 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which James Gunn just put out on Twitter a little while ago that he has to, you know, he's sort of obligated to do these um, Suicide Squad movie now. And then after that, he'll uh, go back to Guardians. Um, so that'll be, you know, a few years out. And then um, I'm sure there was whispers or talkings about the X-Men as well. So uh, I I don't think I think they're still keeping that playing that pretty close to the, the vest. Um, right. Yeah. Because honestly, I think this is kind of a cooling period for Marvel. It's a bit of a rebuilding period. Uh, you know, they're taking some risks on some new properties like uh, Shang-Chi and Blade Right. Um, so I think I think that they're going to be built. They, you know, because how do you top in game? You, mm-hmm. you kind of can't. So you got to start laying the seeds for new stuff, which I think we'll see the X Men and like maybe introduced at the end of Phase Five or whatever. It's hard. Sure, to we need some distance from it anyway. Phases. Like we need. We need a little bit of a period where we're not thinking about the X-Men, the, the 20th Century Fox version. And, yeah. you know, we need our palate cleanse before we start going right back, you know. Totally, totally. So I think it's a smart move for them to, you know, try to get some interest in some new characters. Let's, uh, you know, we have a huge Tony Stark-shaped hole in the universe now. Mm-hmm. So let's try to fill that out with some some other other characters. It, it worked for Iron Man. It can work for Shang Chi. You know. Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. Let's go ahead and get into our first review then of John Favreau's The Lion King. Do you want to tell me what happens in The Lion King? Uh, did you see the cartoon? I did. Yeah, is that? um so it's hamlet with lions yeah uh uh young uh lion simba is used by his evil uncle scar to murder his father mufasa and usurp the lion crown um simba runs off into the jungle befriends a warthog and a meerkat comes (laughs) back and becomes the king, and the circle of life is completed. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the cartoon. It's the same movie. Uh, Literally. With yeah. this photorealistic, you know, animals dubbed over it. And um, I, I, I guess I'm getting into my criticisms already. Go for uh, it. Because these animals are photorealistic, which they look gorgeous. Like you wouldn't be able to tell that these aren't, you know, everything in this movie, apparently except for one shot was completely digitized. So, uh, the, the environment was completely digital. The animals were completely digital, everything. So that's why John Favreau has been like saying, no, it's not the live action Lion King because none of it is live action. Mm-hmm. It's the photo real Lion King because they, right. I mean, I will say the technology that went into this is impressive and the way they shot it. It was like they basically built these 3D sets so that they could shoot things from different angles and, and like lighting angles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they shot it in a traditional way, but it just everything they created. So it's it, kind of a, a crazy, a, a crazy method. Yeah. If nothing else. I mean, um, I, I think ILM and uh, George Lucas kind of set the groundwork for this style of directing with the entirely 
uh, CGI environments. And then you just built these, you know, green screen platforms and stuff for the actors to hop on and that kind of stuff. And then you just surround it with, with 3D uh, or with uh, CGI animation. Yeah. Um, and and apparently the, it was... Now we're on a new level as far as that goes. Apparently it was a really similar method that they used to shoot Avatar as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was just sort of like the next evolution of that technology. Mm-hmm. So technologically speaking, um, it's very impressive. It is definitely a feat to behold. Does it need to be a movie? <laughs> it, I don't know. It already is. Uh, I I think because the animals are so photorealistic, yeah, that you don't get that expressiveness that you got from the cartoon. Right. So like the the really emotionally heavy moments, uh, I didn't feel anything. And I mean, you know, it's also maybe part of it is the fact that when I saw the original, I was a kid. I was in like fifth or sixth grade or whatever sure and so you know so that movie gutted me and and this movie i came away like wanting to feel something right you also knew it was gonna happen yeah that's that's true that's true but like i watched the cartoon not too long ago and it's still like mufasa's death scene still choked me up Mm -hmm. because it's like it's so expressive and emotional and raw. And this is none of that uh, because it's all sort of hidden under these layers of technology. It's so uncanny Valley that I couldn't really feel anything for anybody. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, there's weird choices that are made in this movie that, uh, uh, I don't entirely understand. One being um, to try and replicate the film almost shot for shot. I mean, it is, a, I think, 10 minutes longer or so. So they extend some set pieces here or there. But for yeah, the most there's, part... There's like a, a couple moments that are added. Uh, I think the fight scene at the end is extended. Yeah, and uh, there's a weird long sequence with a dung beetle. That was actually probably my favorite part. Because <laughs> it was something new. Uh, but yes, everything yeah. else in the movie is literally shot for shot. I mean, it is, you know, especially the, the intro of the film. And uh, you can tell they just looked at the animation and used that as storyboards, like directly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's interesting, I suppose, in like a experimental sort of sense. Like, you know, in, uh, when Gus Van Zandt remade Psycho. <laughs> like I, I, I as like a, I, I actually thought a lot about that, like right, uh, and and just sort of like the merit of that, like yeah, it's a thing we can do, but, but why we need to do? Yeah, um, and I and I I think that that we have, um, let's call it generational privilege, <laughs> if you will, of okay. having grown up with the original animated film. So from our vantage point, this just feels like a weird, cynical um, film so, experiment. Uh, like it feels okay, very, very okay. clinical to us. But I, it, I, let's say you're, no, let's no, say no, you're no, I, seven so, years old or so, and this is the first you're ever seeing of The Lion King. Does it still work for that? So uh, I actually... Uh, disagree with the fact that it's cynical. I don't think this movie's cynical. You don't. Uh, unlike a lot of the Disney remakes, I you can tell that John Favreau has a love and a reverence for the original um, because of how faithful it is. So I this movie's a lot of things, but I actually don't think it's cynical at all. I think it may be a little bit too loyal. But I don't think this movie was made with pure dollar signs in mind. I think mm. it was made with more with uh, can we do it? Can you know? Can, can we, we it recreate off? it with? Yeah. So I think I, there might I be a there might be a a difference between the directive of John Favreau, the director, who might be you know taking this on as some sort of technical challenge, uh-huh. and. Uh, 
the studio's directive, which is well, most certainly to make a ton of money. I mean, of course, of course. That's why it wasn't really, you know, a small limited release to, you know, art houses, to, right. you know, with a director's tour toting the technological brilliance or whatever. Like, yeah, shown in a double Disney. feature at the Arrow with Kimba the Lion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, does it hold up on its own? If we haven't seen the original if we're just sort of erasing that from our memory yeah i think this movie holds up better than a lot of the disney remakes because the story's so good i mean you're adapting fucking hamlet like there's just certain elemental truths about that about the the theme of the circle of life and uh simba's journey is so campbellian like by the book Right. Uh, uh, that it's like, s- structurally speaking, the the house is still there. You know, you still have a good house. You just have completely flipped it. Uh, it's a totally modern kitchen. Um, right. It, it, with solar energy now, right? Uh, okay. Uh, but it still has good bones. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that the, the uh, integrity of the story is, is actually um, – uh, not compromised that much um, in this uh, weird photorealistic whatever. Um, I want to go back to weird choices, though. Another weird yeah. choice, I think, uh-huh. is uh, that they went so close, shot for shot, of the original film that you could, you know, you could, uh, if you had both movies playing on Blu-ray or something, you could hit mute on the the live-action one and keep the audio from the original and just lay it over top. And it would still, for the most part, work. Um, in fact, I don't know why they didn't do that. Because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, uh, voice performances in here are not that great. And um, they yeah. decide to change dialogue in very lazy, riffy, unkempt ways. The, like... The- the the, com- the the comedic beats don't hit anymore. Yeah, and, there's um, there's weird stuff with uh I think specifically with the hyenas. Yeah, they just did they not just, know what to do with them. No, like they wanted them to be scary because they look like scary hyenas. Yeah, but they tried to make them funny, but it just didn't work at all. At all, at all. Um, and I don't know, and, like, what's the choice there? From going from the original, like, uh, fun, oh, well, I don't know, fun, yeah, fun, fun, um, uh, chemistry of the original hyenas from the animated film to, to this bad dialogue and, uh, and interactions we see in, in this new one. Yeah, there's weird moments where they choose, like, a much more generic, uh, alternative to what was in the original movie and I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't totally understand that at all right um, and they keep like all of the best songs mm-hmm. except scars song yeah they truncate that and uh, and it, turn it into just like a, the first verse and chorus and that's it and it's it's like it never totally picks up uh, they also kind it, of um there's a little bit of reworking there, story-wise, as far as, uh, you know, and think the original animated film, they kind of imply that Scar and the hyenas have been working together for a while. Whereas in yeah. this one, he, like, approaches the hyenas and and gets them on board. Yeah, they're... they're Another they're weird choice moments. that I don't... It's just a lateral move. I don't see what it really does either way. I think it was trying to make it a little more political, a little more sort of of the time um but yeah i i agree it's it felt very lateral it didn't didn't feel like it added anything really but it didn't didn't it was really like, okay feel like it t- well that's there uh last yeah. lastly you mentioned the songs i really don't think this movie should have had diegetic music now you know circle of life can you feel the love sure like all that stuff that's just playing over top scenes I think works just fine, but there's something very chortle inducing watching a photorealistic lion cub, like seeing with perfect vibrato. 
of yeah i well and so okay it's it's impossible for me to to discuss this movie without comparing it to the original well no um, that's why i said at the very beginning our vantage point is our vantage point and we can't you know review this in a vacuum yeah so even in the cartoon though that musical number i can't i just can't wait to be king mm-hmm. um there's like fun a- animation tricks uh yeah that that sort of break from reality whereas this makes a concerted effort to keep the music but to stay as real as possible and right i don't think it always quite meshes um uh also i i just in general don't think that the voice actor who played young simba um was, was as good, good as yeah as as jt John- yeah jonathan taylor thomas um, um, I think, you know, some of the voice performances were fine. I actually think that Seth Rogen and uh, Billy Eichner as Timon and Pumbaa did pretty so, good. I mean, it was a I, interpretation, but it was fine. I actually really liked them. They were the ones that sort of kept me from being totally detached from the movie because it, gets yeah. to, it got to a certain point where it's like, well, this is just the Lion King. Right. And then, uh, you know, they had jokes that were a little more modern they they riffed a little bit more on on the old movie um and so to me that felt the freshest yeah was th- uh what they got to do i also thought john oliver was really good i, as I did not <laughs> i oh, thought really? that, no i thought he was really annoying in this movie and in a way that rowan atkins wasn't i mean i get that his the purpose of his character is to kind of be annoying but um it it came off abrasively annoying in this movie. Interesting. Uh, I didn't have a problem with him. I, I actually, I liked him. Um, uh, James Earl Jones, they could have literally used the same audio for. And should have. I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how old he is, but very, very old. And you can kind of tell the, you know, I, I've seen the original movie so many times as a kid that I, I like, I know the movie line per line i know the line readings and i know that the line readings of the mufasa character were stronger in 1994 i couldn't really tell a difference so um uh yeah i i mean honestly the one that really stood out that was much that i just didn't care for as much was uh chiwete ejafor um i mean jeremy irons just had so much camp and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like he was just so he was such a Disney villain. He was the the gay Disney villain. And um, I think there might have been a, an effort to to uh, lessen to play that. away from that. Yeah, but I think I, because there's been there's been some amount of uh, criticism toward Disney for always turning their villains like coded gay, um, and maybe to in some degree for good reason. Um, and I, th- you know, it was, a, it was a actorly choice at the time and they went for it and it kind of works in animation. I don't know how well that would have worked in this style. Um, I will yeah, say, I think I, Scar is scarier here. Uh, yeah, not all the time I just, intentionally. I just, it just didn't play as well for me no he's not as interesting of a villain no well for the most part none of the characters are as interesting as they are in animation because it's uh it's yeah it's like what you said it's it's you're so caught up thinking about how they did it technologically that the movie doesn't really ever break that into you thinking about um the goals and characteristics of the characters yeah. Um, I think the overall effect of the movie is it's kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't I hate it like some hate- people do. I know it's like, like it's getting beat up right now. And I think it's because it's the third Disney remake to come out this year. Yeah. Uh, and people uh, are that, just that over it. It's not as good as the original. <laughs> yeah. It's not as good. Well, none of them are like, like, let's, let's be real. Like all these Disney live action whatevers, it's 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 got to stop. I know it won't until literally the last movie they have left to do is Song of the South. But <laughs> you um, think we'll get an Atlantis? 
Oh uh, yeah. I mean, if if they're they're like, well, that's what we got. You know, it's either that or uh, uh or brother bear. Let's we're doing this now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I I think that that maybe some of those movies that didn't get as much love as an animated feature might be better. So you know what I mean? Like yeah, Atlantis should have been a live like, action movie. <laughs> yeah, like Treasure Planet. Let's you know. Yeah. Nobody saw it when it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm dying uh nobody saw treasure planet when it first came out so you know let's give yeah. that a shot yeah nobody would um, even know yeah luke Besson uh, could make it it could be really fun yeah actually that might not be the worst idea uh <laughs> uh yeah overall i say this it's a wash it's fine yeah it's it's this. It's I think the same thing that is the exact same thing I felt when I saw Aladdin. It was mm-hmm. like sure, yeah. It, it doesn't ruin my childhood, but it doesn't. It just makes me sad for the kids that get this lessened version right now, when they could have just like re-released it. I mean, they did not that long ago. They released oh, really? the the Lion King in theater again on like it's. 20th anniversary or 15th anniversary or something like that. It was probably like four or five years ago. Huh. Um, I'll be damned. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. It was exactly what I knew I was getting into. Um, I think there is a, I think the backlash on it online is a little overinflated. Um, but it, but it's not like, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. I just, just watched the cartoon. Yeah. You'll you'll save yourself twenty minutes and get a more fulfilling experience. All right, let's go ahead and talk about our Netflix homework now, which I reassigned you after Diving Bell and the Butterfly was taking off, uh, taken off, and that is the movie Night Moves. Um, this is a film by director Kelly Reichart. Um, did movies like uh, Wendy and Lucy and uh, Meek's Cutoff. It stars Jesse Eisenberg and Dakota Fanning as young uh, environmental activists in uh, in and around sort of the Portland, Oregon rural landscape. They, uh, you know, go to these activist meetings and there's there's a lot of talk about sort of the way that the water is being redirected in this area and all of these dams that are being built to create these grids and what the, the effect is on on the environment. And they get the idea that they're going to blow up one of these dams that's nearby where they live uh, to sort of send a message and cause some sort of political chain reaction that will lead to um, some sort of uh, uh, environmental awareness in, in the larger uh, scheme of things. They team up with Bill Sarsgaard, or sorry, <laughs> yeah. Peter, Peter Sarsgaard, who's a uh, playing a very Peter Sarsgaard-like sleazy character who he's the guy they go to when you want to blow up a dam. After they achieve their mission, uh, the rest of the movie kind of deals with sort of their guilt and anxiety um, and, uh, you know, always looking out from their back and are they going to really be able to get away with this and who might go to the police and who might not. And, and yeah, kind of becomes a little bit of sort of an existential thriller. So, what did you think of Night Moves? Um, hmm. I think there was a lot of good ideas mm-hmm. that get kind of bogged down in, uh, so mired down in in trying to be real and trying not to be a genre film and and to uh to sort of shirk that off. Mm-hmm. That it becomes kind of boring through a lot of it. I I was kind of torn with this movie because there was some cool stuff, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of it I thought was like kind of boring and obtuse, and uh, at moments insufferably detached. <laughs> um, to to where I I found it hard to give a shit about any of these characters because I didn't know anything about any of them ever. Uh, um, yeah, I, but there, but it also had some great moments. Mm-hmm. Ultimately though, I think the problem for me, for me with this movie is I think it could have 
should have leaned a little bit into the genre, uh, uh, the sort of the crime genre-ness, mm-hmm. uh, to play with the themes that that they were interested in. Yeah, the um, sort of when regular people try to be criminals thing. Yeah, because it there there is definitely a turning point where I think the dramatic tension of the movie needs to ramp up. Because it, the climax is so weird and out of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, that I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, uh, like, it, it is so jarring. Um, and and I don't think uh, effectively. And I think you know the moment I'm talking about. Sure, sure, um, yeah. And I don't think it's really earned because it just happens. And I don't know enough about the character's relationship to really know what it means. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I, I maybe like this movie a little bit more than you did. But uh, I think that uh, the the big problem I'm seeing in the movie is I think Jesse Eisenberg is a little miscast as this character. Yeah. I, I think Elle Fanning's fine. Uh, in the movie for what she's doing. Or not Elf Fanning. Sorry, this is Decoding. Dakota, the original Fanning. Um, I think she's good here, and she is quite believable. Peter Sarsgaard is exactly who you want for that role. Um, Yeah, yeah, and he he plays it to perfection. Right. He he hits all the right notes. He's one of the most natural actors um, working. You know, you can get him to do just about anything, and you'll believe it. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think I think um, Jesse Eisenberg is a little too aloof. Aloof, yes, and that's a little bit of because of the way he's directed. Because he, I've seen him in other movies where he's not like that. But um, no, I, I, I. But here's the thing: there's there's not there's I don't see mystery in his eyes uh, in no, a way and- that I think you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to believe that this character is capable of more than. Uh, a certain amount and you know in the in the social network um i think that you know credit to david fincher he does put that mystery behind his eyes and this not so much and so there's there's places the character goes that i just don't believe um and and i think that if you'd had an actor you know somebody like like a was written for casey affleck sure honestly yes somebody like a casey affleck or somebody like a scoop mcnary or somebody like yeah. that who's just a little bit more of a question mark in general then I, I and and can can kind of like fill this role out a little bit more also i think there's supposed to be um a little bit of a um gender dynamic being explored in this movie yeah that is so not really coming through out. totally so that's another problem i have with the movie is it sets up certain themes and certain things that have that don't play out at all yeah uh like at the beginning uh, it seems like dakota fanning is the only character who knows what the fuck she's doing or talking about yeah and uh uh and there's i actually thought the beginning was really interesting because there's this whole thing where they turn to peter sarsgaard and he's always telling them like no it's cool it's fine this is you know this is cool and he's supposed to be like this pro, but he's kind of a fucking idiot. Yeah. Uh, and Dakota Fanning is like more the consummate professional. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I felt like there was something really interesting at work there. And then they really just throw that all away. Yeah. Well, I think consummate professional, maybe. But I think you're supposed to see her as sort of the moral ground of of the three but again, we yeah, we're not told really quite well, enough just, about the characters I'm to, just saying to come that, to those conclusions. Yeah, based off of the the interaction that were presented at the beginning, mm-hmm. I had a feeling it was going to go a very different way. Like I I think it would have been more interesting if Dakota Fanning was the one who felt like she had to sort of clean up the mess. Mm. Um, I think that might have had some more dramatic juice. Than yeah. what we got, which was pretty, I think, I, I, like I said, just sort of typical, and but not in a way that plays to the genre convention to right. where typical is good. Right. It, in this case, it just feels very uninspired and out of nowhere. 
Yeah. Um, Kelly Reichardt, uh, the only other movie I've seen by her is Meek's Cutoff, which I like more than this. Um, but that was a, that was a Western that wasn't really a Western. And this is kind of a thriller that's not really a thriller. Um, which I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I would have enjoyed it more had some of the, the theme had, had there been more payoff with yeah. sort of the, the checks that were written. I do think there is some moments of good tension. Sure. And yeah. especially, you know, when they, the actual scene where they're like going off to do this, to do this crazy thing. Um, I think that all plays pretty well. And I was really uh-huh. kind of like, like gripped by that whole sequence. Um, and I actually like the ending ending a lot as well. Oh, where, where they decide to cut off. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, uh, yeah, where that all sort of plays out after uh, the the incident happens. I actually mm-hmm. think it ends on a really well done note. It mm-hmm. was just, I think there was just a sort of middling ground where uh, it, it doesn't quite commit. Quite, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't quite know how to click everything together, um, which yeah. is fine. Like, I didn't hate it. I honestly, uh, uh, I feel like if I had seen this movie on the independent film channel after I'd stayed up way too late. Yeah. And like, you know, I want, I think I might have enjoyed it a little more. Very specific conditions. Yeah. Uh, I will say, <laughs> uh, however, this is probably the most Oregon movie ever made. Yeah. Totes. <laughs> it's very. Super uh, Oregon. Very, very um, gorper. Yeah, I mean, he, the the character literally uh, works very, at like a like, farm co-op. But also, uh, what's kind of interesting? This came out in two, uh, yeah, two thousand thirteen, and there's all this talk about like environmentalism and and uh, and like the future and stuff like that. Now we're like you know, however many years, five or so years away from it, and these topics are now kind of being discussed on a much larger scale politically, you know, talk to the Green New Deal and this or, kind of stuff. Or not discussed. Uh, or right, right. I mean, it's, it's, but it's, uh, in a way, a little ahead of its time. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't say it entirely works. Uh, yeah, and honestly, if there is any kind of environmentalness to the movie, it's it's lost on the genre convention and the Sure, that's old. It's not s- the seriously talking about that stuff. That's just the the setup. No, no, that's just the setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, it's fine, but I don't. I don't think you need to go out of your way for this. I think you can get. Uh, I think you can get a similar effect with much better movies. Honestly, I think there's similar movies that play with these kind of themes in much more interesting ways. I I kind of agree. Yeah. I'd say if you like these actors, if you like the director and you just were curious about it, it's not going to be a total waste of time. Um, but if it's, uh, you know, you're really expecting a lot of this and you might be disappointed. It's also kind of a, like it's, it's a pretty slow movie. So I don't, I don't know that it's sure. But compared to Wendy and Lucy and uh, Meek's cutoff, this is like, this is like light speed. Great. <laughs> but I liked Meek's cut off more for what I was doing. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, oh, uh, did you have a Netflix homework for me? We didn't discuss this. I do. Uh, we're going to watch. I, I, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, um, but we're going to watch Elang the Wolf Brigade. All right. You'll definitely have to text me that because I don't know how i would begin to spell um, that <laughs> uh yeah it's a korean future fantasy martial art thing uh po- possibly horror uh it's directed by uh kim ji woon oh okay yeah good the bad and the weird he did mm-hmm. uh uh i saw the i saw yeah, the devil i saw the devil mm-hmm. um yeah all right. Yeah, I'm excited. 2018 movie from him. All right. Sounds good. It's probably four hours, too. Uh, yeah, it's like two and a half hours, which strap in. 
Um, well, that'll be the episode. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the things that we talked about here, you can email us at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook where we post all of our news stories and episodes when they go up at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. And you can, you know, uh, slide into our DMs if you have any other words for, uh, you know, for, for us or you have any questions. Um, and uh, go ahead and uh, check me out on Twitter if you're already over there at VC Cassidy. Um, and get all my uh, ridiculous hot takes. Um, Keith, where should people go to find you? Uh, check me out on Twitter at Keith Foster Kid and on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. I finally figured out how to post a story, so I've been having a lot of fun with that. Congrats. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. Oh, and go to my website, www.keithfosterkid.com. All right. Also, be sure to check out all of the other articles and uh, stuff that's being posted by the MacGuffin staff over at their website, MacGuff.in, where you can also find the RSS feed for this podcast that you're listening to right now, as well as the archives. Um, Check out my writing that I do for the Idaho State Journal over at IdahoStateJournal.com in their arts and entertainment section. They have a movies tab somewhere in there. You should be able to find the articles that I've written. Uh, and, uh, check out the podcast. We're available if I don't know how you're listening to me right now, but, um, we're also available on, uh, Twitter. I are not Twitter. We're also available on Stitch, I mean, iTunes. We are on Twitter. We are on Twitter. Uh, we're on Stitch, iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Player.fm. Um, and, uh, check out all of our friends out there who do podcasts of their own, including Patrick and Dennis over at Almost Educational and, uh, Buddy and Alice over at Those Happy Places and Rogue Fun Star Wars Podcast. And that is the show. And all those moments will be lost in time like tears and rain. Bye.